0: Oh!
1: Everything gonna be right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, big, bald, beautiful beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
2: How in the world did... The New Orleans Saints win that ball game. How in the world did the Atlanta Falcons find a way to lose it? Yet here we are. Saints winners, Falcons losers in one of the more inexplicable games that we've seen in a long time and one of the more inexplicable weekends of crazy NFL action. Good morning, Welcome to Raymond Parch III's show, better known as RP3 and Company. I'm joined here. What is my company today, you may be asking yourself. You're probably thinking, RP3. What type of company are you going to have today? Well, I got the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah, five names. I will allow her to flex up on me later on in today's show. Looks like a fantasy football... Matchup is in the bag for her. Her Mariners took two of three from my Braves. And as she tried to talk trash to me last night, I said, great job. Enjoy this. Enjoy the series victory for years. For years. See, I'm supportive. I'm supportive, which frustrates her because now she's mumbling to herself. We're also joined by our new intern extraordinaire, Moses Campos. He is feeling a little down today. He's feeling that. Where Hannah is on cloud nine, fantasy football win in the bag. Mariners take a series victory. The Saints won. Poor Moses is a Dallas Cowboys fan. Not only did they lose behind a paw ball offensive line, their franchise quarterback is now reportedly going to be out six to eight weeks with a hand injury. Third straight year, Dak Prescott suffered some sort of injury, by the way. Uh, what is Jarrah, Mr. Hands-on, gonna do? They got a uh they got a practice squad guy as their backup quarterback. I'm sure they can just roll with him. But we're joined here by those two. And of course, we'll be joined by three tremendous guests. Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio will join us at 7.30 today to help us recap the easy victory for the LSU Tigers. Walker Howard even got some playing time in this route of a ball game over the Southern Jaguars. We'll recap that with Jeff at 7.30. At 8 o'clock, Corey Diaz from the Daily Advertiser, Raging Cajun's beat reporter. He will join us. Cajuns looked bad for a half, lightning delay came, and then all of a sudden they woke up and scored 49 points in the second half as they improved to 2-0 on the season. We'll recap that and look ahead to their game against Rice this coming weekend at 8 o'clock. And at 8.30 for the Big Easy Blitz, our guy Ross Jackson, who was in Atlanta for the shenanigans, will be joining us. From the Locked On Saints podcast to recap the crazy victory. Of course, we'd love to hear from you. Plenty of content to get to. We even will we'll touch on the Houston Astros. They took two or three over the weekend from the Angels. They got to 90 wins on the season. 90. And they're not even playing their best baseball. So we'll get to LSU, Cajuns, McNeese, Astros, The Sunbelt Conference having a banner day over the weekend. Some SEC teams not having banner days over the weekend. But we got to start off with the Saints. Absolutely a straight-up bananas game. Many folks turned it off as they should. And here's where this game stood. The Falcons were up. They were second down and four at midfield. And the Saints had one timeout left with 140 left on the clock. Game in hand. Victory in hand. And then they got an intentional grounding gift. And then another gift to get the ball back for one last possession. And another gift on the Marshawn Lattimore penalty, which is bogus and yet they still found a way to lose the game. Only the Falcons. The Saints looked dreadful. When I say dreadful, that was the second quarter yesterday was the worst I've seen the Saints play since Jim Hazlitt was the head football coach. Heck, maybe the worst quarter of play I've seen Since Mike Ditka was the head football coach. That's how bad they played yesterday. They looked lifeless. They were being pushed around on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Offensive line looked awful. Ruiz looked awful. Andres Pete was pond water. Hey, let me pop up and watch the guy go by me. Fairly for certain. Moses, that Saints fans would be more than happy to have Andre Speet be traded to your Dallas Cowboys to help with their offensive line was. Awful. An awful performance. And as bad as the offensive line was, Jameis Winston was, for the first half of yesterday's game, hot garbage. There's no other way to to say it. We're not going to miss words here. He played terrible. The offensive line played terrible. The defensive line was dreadful. The worst possible performance you could see. And they played that... They didn't play scared. They just played lifeless. They didn't play with a sense of urgency. Atlanta had more energy. Atlanta was more... The the Atlanta Falcons were the more physical team... Let that wash over you for a second that the Dirty Birds were the more physical team. And Atlanta built up a 16 to 7 halftime lead. And it got even worse in the third quarter. This game was twenty three to ten heading to the fourth. Twenty three to ten. And yet, here come the Saints outscoring the Dirty Birds 17-3 in the fourth quarter inside the Mercedes-Benz Stadium to win the game. Unbelievable. Winston was magnificent in the final quarter. The offensive line held their blocks. The defense all of a sudden got more physical. I don't know what happened. I watched... Part of the game, listen to part of the game. I have no idea. People that were there inside the Mercedes-Benz Stadium have problems figuring out what exactly happened in this ballgame. Winston, there was a point in the first half where they had, what, 24 net passing yards? Woof. How did Winston finish the the night? 23-34 for 269. Two touchdowns, no picks. Was sacked five times. Had a quarterback rating of 111. Had a rating of 111, right? QBR was 53-3. They got an early touchdown from Taysom. You saw how they're going to utilize him in the run game. Alvin Kamara was not a factor. Nine carries for 39 yards. No touchdowns. They only ran the ball 19 times. It was vintage Saints football there. Especially after they got down, they couldn't run the ball anymore. But Jarvis Landry, we talked about how important Jarvis was going to be to this team. And that I made this statement just last week that it may not always show up in the stat line, in the box score, but that he's going to have a huge impact on this team. Well, I stand corrected because he had a huge game in the box score as well. Seven catches for 114 yards in this ballgame, targeted nine times. You can tell there's chemistry there and trust between Jameis and him. Michael Thomas comes up big. Welcome back, MT. Two touchdowns in this ballgame. Five catches for 57 yards even had Jawan Johnson contributing. Now, Mark Ingram, like I said, they couldn't run the football. Ingram had the lost fumble. But the Honey Badger recovers a fumble. And Bradley Roby recovers a fumble. Defensively, Pete Werner was all over the place. Led the team with 13 tackles, 12 of those solo. Demario Davis looked lost in the first half. But they all got it together. They all got it together finally. And the Saints pull out a 27-26 victory. An improbable comeback. Only Atlanta would find a way. And once again, new head coach, a bunch of new guys, a 16-point deficit in the fourth quarter. Yet the Saints still found a way to pull off the comeback. <laughs> what? Still found a way. Thomas got the two touchdown catches in the fourth quarter. His first game since 2020. And then Lutz delivered in the end. Delivered. I know. He did deliver five names. Thank you for shaking your head in animated fashion in there. Thank you for agreeing with me. I appreciate that. Once again, Winston hooked up with Thomas. Touchdown passes of three and nine yards. The Saints converted a two-point conversion in this ballgame late, but failed on another. And that left the Falcons... Clinging to a 26-24 lead. So even after Thomas wakes up and Winston wakes up and the offense does great things, they're still trailing. This is still a 26-24 ball game, and the Falcons get the ball back. But then the Falcons didn't do anything with the possession. Gave New Orleans the ball back one more time. They took over on their own 20-yard line, trailing by two, 48 seconds remaining, no timeouts. And it wasn't a problem. 40-yard pass from Jameis Winston to Jarvis Landry, and then a 17-yard pass to Jawan Johnson, the third string tight end. Sure did play like the number one tight end to me. Which set up Lutz's game-winning field goal. But, but, this is what makes things even more funny. So then they go up. 27 to 26. But a personal foul, which was questionable, on the Saints gave the Falcons a chance to pull out the victory. But Ku's 63 yard field goal attempt was blocked as the clock ran out. What? Only Atlanta. Like, this is the type of game, this is the type of comeback that the Saints we able to produce only because it was against the Atlanta Falcons. No other team would have found a way to lose as well as Atlanta did. Multiple chances to win this game. And the Falcons are like, nah, man, we're good. We're good. You just think we're going to win this game. You just think we're going to win this game. We're not. Just watch what's about to happen. <laughs> just Awful. And by the way, the Falcons, who have never recovered from blowing the 28-3 lead in the 2017 Super Bowl, can add another meltdown to their resume following the Matt Ryan era. You had Cordell Patterson, who's really a wide receiver, wide receiver slash running back, rushes for a career-high 120 yards. And Marcus Mariota looked good, pretty good. Threw for 215 yards, had 70 team more, 72 more on the ground. But the Falcons found a way to lose yet again. Look, it's the type of game that you're just happy to win. Little concerning that Winston was sacked four times against a team that had a league low 18 a year ago. The offensive line was supposed to be fixed Doug Marone was supposed to fix Andres, Pete, and Cesar Ruiz. Not for sure about that. Offensive line, not great looking. But at the end of the day, they somehow pull out the win. Winston looks sharp late after looking bad for three quarters. Michael Thomas gets a couple of scores. Jarvis Landry had a big game. And Will Lutz got that second chance, right? His first field field goal attempt of 44 yards in this ballgame, hit the upright, was no good. He ends up coming back being the hero. Saints will now open up at home on Sunday against the Tampa Bay Bucks. We'll talk more about this game here from the New Orleans Saints players. I'll be coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language.
2: You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru? And I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola? More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night.
1: Me fail English? That's impossible. Now, back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
0: Yeah, it was exciting, man. We was able to get in like a little two-minute, you know, hurry-up type of, type of offense. And um, Jawan started it off, man. Great play coming out of, off the, the kickoff. And um, from there, we just kind of kept on moving the ball down the field. I think, what, four plays, three or four plays. And then Mike does what he does in the, in the red zone making big plays. And from there, we just moved on. And defense got another stop. We was able to go out there and do it again. Um, and defense, again, come up big, you know, when we needed it. And that's what it's about.
2: That's what it's about. Jarvis Landry, the Louisiana native, former LSU Tiger, had a, himself a monster game for the New Orleans Saints coming up clutch. Talking about their come-from-behind victory against those Dirty Birds. Inexplicable, improbable, 27-26 to 26 victory on the road in Atlanta. And so many chances there. For Atlanta to win, and they played like the better team. They played with the team with more of a chip on their shoulder. They looked more prepared. They looked like the better coach team. Let's be honest. That second quarter, when I, I'm not, I'm not kidding. The second quarter of yesterday's Saints game was the worst quarter of football I've seen the Saints play since Mike Ditka was their head coach. That's a long time ago. I, I I don't even I'm not even gonna say it's the worst quarter of football I've seen from this team. Since the Katrina year, because at least that year they had an excuse. This was awful. Just borderline disgusting type of performance. But yet they found a way. They turned it on. They got it together. Things started clicking. And guys stepped up in a big way. And you could start to feel the momentum a little bit in this game. You just didn't know if the Saints were going to be able to have enough of it to pull out the win, it felt like it was going to be respectable, right? Like they were going to make it a respectable score. It was going to be one of those frustrating days if you were a Saints fan. Oh, yeah, well, we we, we, we made it close. We made it look better than it actually was, but we still fell short of winning the ball game. But what about the momentum? Did the players feel it? And Michael Thomas, who came up big with two fourth-quarter touchdown catches in his first game back since 2020, talked about that momentum swing
0: yeah for sure when we came out of halftime we knew we were getting the ball back we knew we had we, we were completely honest with ourselves. we knew we had uh we were leaving our defense out there on the field too long you know too many three and outs and uh we took accountability and uh everyone we looked each other in the eyes and we knew what time it was our team needed us and we needed to respond and we needed to find a way to win this game and that's what we did and that's where the effort came from
2: For so long, this team couldn't get into a rhythm offensively. Part of that was because the offensive line struggled. Credit Atlanta. They brought a pass rush. Once again, they sacked Jameis Winston four times in this ballgame. And they just couldn't get anything going. The timing routes were off. They had a little success early on running the football, in particular with Taysom, but that was it. They weren't getting Chris Olave into the ballgame. Michael Thomas was not a factor. You know, I had conversations with people on text threads. Don't you think they should probably... target Thomas and try to get him into a rhythm in the first half and they didn't they they just didn't do that well they finally found their rhythm with that two-minute offense and Winston spoke about that as well well it, it was we knew we were passing the ball Right, so uh, we, we knew we were passing the ball, so just the approach to, like, hey, like, boom, 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 like, here we go, boom, 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 here we go. So you get into that rhythm of knowing, like, hey, these these are where my completions are, these are where my matchups are, and you just go like that. It's not no game plan involved. Like, hey, this is the defense that we're going to get. Let's go and play. Thomas stepped up when he needed to. Winston stepped up when he needed to as well, and so did Will Lutz, for that matter. Lutz – who missed all of last year due to injury He's a great kicker for this team misses the 44 yarder earlier in the ball game it hits the upright but he gets a chance to hit what proves to be the game winner and this is what the pro bowl saints kicker had to say yeah a lot of emotions
0: in that one you know obviously coming off a of miss is tough I want to give zach and blake a lot of credit give me you know a good mental space the whole game uh man
2: offense defense giving us another chance and uh i can't really put it into
1: words what that felt like but you know the bottom line is i missed a kick early that puts in that situation and back back to work and um just glad glad i got no chance
2: i think somebody's a little hoarse from yelling and celebrating the victory I think that's a little bit of what that's about there. But everyone had their chance, right? Landry comes up clutch. Winston turns it on in the fourth quarter. Michael Thomas comes up clutch. Juwan Johnson, Will Lutz. Everyone they needed to step up to help them put together this improbable win, that's exactly what they did. It's exactly what they did. And... You learned a little bit. I've always said this. When a team overcomes obstacles, when a team pushes through adversity, they learn something about themselves. They learn about the character of themselves. And Demario Davis, who did not look good early on either, none of the Saints did in this ball game. but the captain, the leader of this defense, talked about learning about the character of this year's Saints team. I
3: mean, it's not uncommon. That's who we are. We're a resilient team. We've always been that coming out of what we, everything that we went through last year um, and down the stretch, playing, playing like that, that's, that's not uncommon for us. And so we knew coming in that this was going to be a, a, a challenge for us. They do a lot of good things and, uh, and got some great athletes, and those great athletes were on display today. So we knew it was going to be a challenge, and, and coming into this environment is not easy. And so uh, we just knew we had to play good football, and, and we did enough to get a W, but at the same time, man, a so God win.
2: Still plenty of work to be done. And they're going to be taking on a Tampa team that they've pretty much owned during the regular season. The last handful of years, Tampa is coming off a win against Dallas last night. But that'll be inside the Caesar Superdome. Dramatic come from behind victory in the opener on the road. Tampa comes to town. It should be fairly electric Sunday for the Bucs-Saints game. We'll talk more about this game throughout today's show. We'll hear more from the Saints players as well. But right now, we're going to take a timeout here in RP3 and company. When we return, we're going to shift gears a little bit, switch over to college. It was a busy, busy weekend and a banner weekend for the Sun Belt Conference as they made multiple statements as they took down the big boys left and right on Saturday in particular. We'll recap it for you. Talk about the Cajuns' victory, extending the nation's longest winning streak, by the way, to 15 games. That's all going to be coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yep. Yeah. Sounds like we were meant to be together, or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Back to more of the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
0: The calm on our team was just, was remarkable. They sat down, they listened to the adjustments we were gonna make, the plays we were gonna run in the second half, and I mean, they just came out and executed, you know. I I think there's a lot of value in winning games like this. Uh, And for our team in particular, you know, teams in the past, we've had a lot of character. You know, we we haven't splintered, we've played together um, and we fought through, you know, but every team's different. And tonight it was just so refreshing and so good to see and made you just so proud that this team has that type of resolve and that type of belief in each other.
2: Raging Cajuns get the win. It did not look pretty for a while. They were shut out at halftime. They looked flat. They looked not prepared. Eastern Michigan came into Cajun Field and said, we got this. And they built up a 7-0 lead. We get the game halted. Due to lightning strikes in the area, we didn't see them, but the officiating crew had been notified of it. Then we got another lightning strike, so we were delayed, uh, I guess, about an hour. Play stops with, what, three minutes to go or so before halftime. And even then, when the Cajuns came back onto the field, Eastern Michigan found a way to score. And just like that, they're up 14-0 at halftime. Well, at the break, it only lasted three minutes because they essentially counted the lightning delay as halftime. And then the Cajuns finally woke up. Gare's return kind of gave them a spark. And then they scored touchdown, 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 touchdown. Win the game forty nine to twenty one. They were losing fourteen to nothing at halftime. And the Raging Cajuns turned it around and outscored Eastern Michigan 49-7 to in the second half. Just good performance. Took them a while. But we're looking through two games now for the Coach Dez tenure. They played a very good first half of offensive football in the opener against Southeastern, then didn't play a good second half. They played an awful first half of offensive football against Eastern Michigan and played a spectacular second half. They've yet to play a full game. They've yet to do that. They've yet to be able to figure that out. But yet, they still were able to get the win. They still extend the nation's longest winning streak to 15 games. And... It's a tale of two halves yet again, and Coach Dez spoke about that afterwards.
0: Defense did a great job. You know, they kept us in the game early on. And offensively, you know, we just kind of have to fight through some things and figure it out. And it's not necessarily doing anything different. You know, certainly we took some more vertical shots in the second half. You know, offensively, we just, you know, first half, we just kind of struggled. As, you know, we'd, we'd get a good play, we'd get a positive, efficient play, and then we kind of go backwards and you felt like you had to chip away at it a little bit. You know, in the second half, we kind of went back and said, all right, you know, our game plan was to throw the ball, throw it down the field. Let's just, let's go, let's go force some of these things a little bit and make our guys make plays. So I don't know if I've ever been more proud of a team in my life. It went about as bad in the first half as it could have gone. Defensively, we played great, but penalties were killing us. Offensively, you know, we couldn't get anything going. Every time we'd take two steps forward, we'd take three steps back. It was just, you know, it 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 was frustrating, to say the least. But, you know, in that locker room.
2: Man said it was frustrating. I can see why. I also wonder if they're going to be able to continue playing two quarterbacks. Because Chandler Fields struggled in the first half. He finally got things rolling. He let them down to a couple touchdown drives and they switched quarterbacks. <laughs> now Ben Woolridge was phenomenal. Only had one incompletion in this ball game. He put on a show. So I, I don't know is that part of the disjointedness with the offense that you're playing both guys I I don't know it's too early to tell you were able to beat southeastern Louisiana you were able to pour it on eastern Michigan you got rice on Saturday in Houston should be able to beat the owls but is this what we're going to see Right, or we're going to keep seeing the two different guys. I don't know. I don't know. Jasper Williams, he came up big in this game, had an interception late in the ball game. Defense started making plays, started turning over the ball, especially there in the second half. That gave the team a huge shot in the arm, so to speak. And he talked about, you know, it was a little shaky at first, but, but man, they had a ton of fun out there.
3: You know, at first it it was a little shaky, but we we always try to tell each other, you know, stay you know stay composed. We ain't we ain't trying to trying to get too too far down. We're just gonna keep battling, keep fighting. We're just gonna keep at it, and the favors end up turning into us. We we came back. We had an amazing second half.
2: The other big thing from this game was the rash of penalties that were called. There were nineteen penalties called in this game. 19. That's a slew of penalties. And there was a point there in the second quarter that the Cajuns had more penalty yards than they did offensive yards. I'm talking late in the second quarter. But they were able to kind of push through that, right? Awful. J- just as you know, the Saints played an awful second quarter yesterday. The Cajuns played an awful first half of football on Saturday. They did. When you have more penalty yardage than you do offensive yards, that's not good. But they made the adjustments. They came out in the second half. They played much better. They turned it on. Offense, defense, and special teams across the board. And... How do you deal with the penalties? Because there were some of them that were a little ticky-tack in this ball game. <clears throat> some defensive holding calls that you're like, eh, really? There were some questionable calls. And Jasper talked about trying to not let the penalties and the delay from the lightning strike get to them.
3: Oh, no, we we just try not to let it get to us too much. We just try to stay composed and, you know, just stay together, just keep everybody locked in, you know. We don't try to, you know, let the penalties get to us, you know. We, We on to the next. We'll take it and we just
2: on to the next. Man was so pumped up about going on to the next that he's beating the podium like that. On to the next. Let's go. Let's go. Jasper ready to go. Michael Jefferson had a big game, he had a drop early, was able to come back from that, had a big 55-yard reception in this game, and the wide receiving core finally kind of woke up a little bit as as well. And for him, he also got a firsthand look at John Stevens Jr., who balled out, went over 100 yards, receiving career game for him. And talked a little bit about seeing what John was able to do in this ballgame.
5: Yeah, me and John close in, that's my hotel room. We've been talking about this for a long time. We've just been staying patient and, and waiting on to come. Like last game, neither one of us had a big game. But we kept faith and, and patient, and, and we believe, and we believe in the process. And, and it happens. And both of us got a touchdown. So at the end of the day, he trusts me, I trust him. At the end of the day, no matter who in, we in, we know we can make plays.
2: You like to see the guys kind of do that. And and once again, it was a weird game. Uh, We we talked about it with Kevin Foote up in the press box. And Bobby Ardwin was there. And Dan and Mary Beth McDonald and Corey Diaz. And we'll talk more about this game with Corey later as well when he joins us at 8 o'clock. It was a weird game. It was the Cajuns were lifeless. They had no energy. They didn't execute their game plan. Eastern Michigan was ready, right? This was a big game for them. They just looked flat. But they turned it on. And is this, I wonder aloud, it's only been two games. But I wonder if this is going to be the inconsistency that we're going to see from this Cajuns team in a year of transition. Are there going to be games like this? Because, once again, the opener was the same way. Really good first half of football. Now they didn't get in that game. They weren't able to. They went for it on what fourth and goal and didn't get didn't get it. So they could have had more points even in that first half. But then the second half offensively they they struggled. This this past weekend, they were awful in the first half, dreadful. Scored forty nine points in the second half. Is this is what we're going to kind of see from the Cajuns, where they're going to be kind of just inconsistent? If they can put it together and play a first half of football and a second half of football that match, watch out. Watch out. Because they have the talent. The talent's there. Make no bones about it. The talent's there. You worry about the consistency. Can they be consistent enough to be able to do what they need to do? And that's compete for another conference championship. That's what they want to do. Can they make that happen? We'll see. The Cajuns win their 15th game in a row. Longest winning streak in the nation on Saturday. But it was a banner, banner day for the Sunbelt Conference. It started earlier in the day <coughs> with Appalachian State who nearly beat North Carolina in their opener. They go into College Station and take on Mr. $100 million coach, Jimbo Fisher, because, you know, they're paying them all that money to be a great coach. Well, what had happened was App State goes into College Station, takes down number 6 Texas A&M 17-14. So much for A&M being a contender yet again. App State, they can, man, they're good. They're really good. Nearly beat North Carolina. Then they turn around. They take down, they take down Texas A&M on Saturday. By the way, they get paid $1.5 million to do so. ha, ha, ha. The SEC and those other big conferences can't wait to get to the point where they play nine conference games in schedule so they don't have to schedule these games. Paid App State $1.5 million to come to their place to beat them and to silence the 12th man. Also announced that day that college game day will be going to Boone, North Carolina this coming weekend. That's a big deal. Less than an hour after that game wrapped up, The Marshall Thundering Herd, who the Raging Cajuns defeated in the New Orleans Bowl this last season, who joined the Sunbelt Conference from Conference USA for this season. What does Marshall do? They go into South Bend, Indiana and take down number eight ranked Notre Dame 26 to 21. Marcus Freeman, by the way, becomes the first Notre Dame head coach ever to lose his first three games. He lost the bowl game, lost the opener at Ohio State, and now has lost to Marshall. Uh, not great. M- Notre Dame paid Marshall $1.25 million to come to their place. And then Marshall promptly hands them a loss. Thank you for your paycheck for our facilities. We will use them greatly. It is much appreciated. Oh, by the way, here's an L for you as we leave South Bend, Indiana. And then Georgia Southern with new coach, Clay Hilton, who was fired from USC. He's trying to bring Georgia Southern. By the way, Georgia Southern was a Division I AA power, just like App State was. National championships at that level. That's the level of McNeese and Nichols and Southeastern they go to nebraska and nebraska's been in a tailspin scott frost has been on the hot seat well it's not hot anymore because georgia southern goes into lincoln nebraska racks up more than 600 yards of offense 600 takes down nebraska 45 to 42 the eagles get a paycheck of 1.4 million dollars To go in there to beat Nebraska, Scott Frost was promptly fired over the weekend as the head coach of Nebraska. Oh, and the Cajuns extended their nation's longest winning streak to 15. Sun Belt strong, baby. I'm just saying. They've made the claim that they're the best group of five conference. They've been that way for a couple years now. You can see why. You can see why. And college game day is going to be at a Sunbelt school. Let that wash over you. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up our number two. We'll unveil the poll question of the day. That's all coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Uh, opening weekend is about to be in the books because we have Monday Night Football tonight. Denver at Seattle. Of course, we'll carry that game for you live right here on the game but that will conclude week one but week two will begin in just a few days and are you ready for week two of Thursday night football you can get ready with week two of touchdowns big plays and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL new customers can bet just five dollars on any football game and get two hundred dollars in free bets instantly Want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. It's simple. Bet on L.A. or Kansas City to win, and if your team leads by seven at any point during the game this Thursday night, you're going to get paid instantly, even if your team loses. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today. Use promo code 1037GAME to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code 1037GAME, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years of age to play. Must be physically present in Louisiana. Deposit and wagering restrictions do apply. Eligibility and terms can be found at DraftKings.com slash football terms. Poll question of the day is about them old Dirty Bird Saints game. Dramatic game. Ridiculous game. We asked you, what was the most surprising thing from the Saints win? Was it the first half woes? Was it Landry's big game? Was it the last two minutes or was it the Falcons choking? Right now, leading the way, the first half woes was 70% of the vote, 20% for the Falcons choking, and 10% for the last two minutes. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. We'll update it throughout today's show. Hour number one in the books, hour number two coming up. We'll talk Cajuns, LSU, McNeese, Saints, and more. That's all coming up right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parks III, better known as RP3.
2: Louisiana Raging Cajuns get themselves the win after looking bad for a half, scoring 49 points in the second half on the way to a 49-21 victory. The LSU Tigers, they mauled the poor Southern Jaguars. Even a mediocre LSU team was still too much for Southern. Not a game to really remember, but there were some interesting things that happened in the LSU football game. We'll get to that here shortly. McNeese, meanwhile, gets humbled on the road against the Rice Owls who the Raging Cajuns are going to be playing on Saturday. Did not expect that. Expected that to be a far more competitive ball game, especially after the way they played for a half against a team that played for the national championship in 1AA the week before. Rice is not a very good team. Rice is a bad team at that. But McNeese struggled, and they'll be trying to reset, get back on track, looking for win number one this coming Saturday. When they host Alcorn State, it'll be the home opener for the Cowboys. They're at the hole, and their first game under the lights since the hurricane struck a few years ago. It's a big deal. going to be a nighttime kickoff. Should be electric in Lake Chuck on Saturday. Saints, of course. Get the win in improbable fashion yesterday after a crazy weekend of college football. The Saints get the win yesterday as well. We talked a lot about that in hour number one. That does lead us to our poll question of the day. What was the most surprising thing from the 27 to 26 victory for New Orleans? A game that looked like it was well out of hand after really three quarters. Saints had no business winning that game. Let's just be honest. New Orleans had no business winning that game, yet they did. Right now, 56% of you say the first half woes are the most surprising. 31% say the last two minutes, which was bonkers. 13% say the Falcons choking. No votes yet for Landry's big game. Let's get to some comments. John Paul Cajun Daddy says the first half was disgusting. Remember that at last year, the Saints lost to the Falcons the same way. Hart says there were a lot of new pieces to get to gel together. While it wasn't pretty, I do think D.A. had them prepared well enough for situations like that, and they must have given Jameis some of Michael's secret stuff from Space Jam in that tent because he came out on fire. Right, there was a moment where Winston appeared to get injured. He looked like he got banged up a little bit. They take him to the injury tent. He comes out. He's like a new man. Brad on Twitter says, First half, interesting little nugget. At the 140 mark of the fourth quarter, the Saints' probability of winning was only 18.8%. Once again, 140 left in the fourth quarter. At the 140 mark of the fourth quarter, the Saints' probability of winning was a meager 18.8%. Yet they found a way. JPK, the OD, says... All of the above, with the exception of the Falcons choking, that's about as commonplace as Joe Dirt mullet at the Georgia-Florida annual cocktail party. I'm here for all the Joe Dirt references. Don says, why is the last selection even there? The Falcons choking is no surprise to anyone, including their fans. (laughs) Joe Cola says, of all the things that I least expected, the soft, horrible play of the defense in the first half was surprising. The offensive woes was not a shocker to me. The defense did stand out, right? It usually takes a few weeks, a few games, for them to get settled in. But they looked soft early on. They did. They were getting pushed around. Atlanta was just pushing them around. They were winning the line of scrimmage. They could run the football on, it, on, on the Saints. A weird game. It was a weird weekend altogether. Let's just be honest here. Continue voting on the poll question of the day. But it was a weird weekend for football. The Saints have the improbable comeback in a bizarro game where they looked awful for three quarters of it. Dallas loses their quarterback probably for six to eight weeks. Dak Prescott injures his hand. Looks like multiple reports are saying anywhere between six to eight weeks. They don't even have a backup quarterback, by the way. They have a scout team guy as their backup quarterback. Not great for Dallas. Mac Jones leaves the game for New England, second-year quarterback for the Patriots. They looked awful in their game against the Dolphins. For all the people saying that Tua is trash, he looked pretty good yesterday. Once again, one game. The Bengals. Oh. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase are special. They are very special. I covered them. I watched them in college. They nearly won the Super Bowl last year. They supposedly fixed the offensive line. Newsflash, they didn't. Joe was sacked seven times yesterday. Seven They replaced four of the five starters across the offensive line to make it better. It didn't work. Now, Joe and Jamar are so special that they nearly pulled out a win over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, it was a win over a Mitchell Trubisky-led Pittsburgh Steelers team. Take that what you will. And they nearly pulled it out, but they fall in overtime. You're defending AFC champs. Joe had a game that he'd like to forget. Four picks, sacked seven times, hit even more. Yet was able to make some magic happen late with Jamar. If they could just find a competent offensive lineman. Look, I'll say this again. They, if they would have had one competent, just Pro Bowl-level offensive lineman last year, they win the Super Bowl. Period. If they had one guy, just one, that was a borderline Pro Bowl player across the offensive line, Cincinnati wins the Super Bowl last year. But they didn't. Now, they supposedly went out and tried to fix that and credit the Bengals for doing so. But they looked awful against Pittsburgh. And I know Pittsburgh's led by their pass rush. But in another weird weekend of football, T.J. Watt, the reigning defensive player of the year, by the way, has what appears to be a torn pectoral muscle. He had to leave the game yesterday. So they didn't even have to do that against a fully healthy Pittsburgh Steelers team with T.J. Watt. And they still couldn't block. And they still couldn't protect Joe. It ain't about playing soft football. Don't get it twisted. Joe Burrow is one of the toughest guys out there. He is old school. Don't let the pretty boy looks and the swag fool you. Joe Burrow is tough. Old school tough. And he is not going to complain. And he's going to fight through, and he's going to fight for his team to try to win. He's a throwback old school player if there ever was one. And he's special. And Jamar is special. I don't think he's quite Chris Carter special, but he could be. But you don't win championships and if you don't have at least a competent offensive line. Kansas City did not have a great offensive line a couple years ago when they won the Super Bowl. They had specialness at quarterback and at wide receiver and at tight end. You had Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey. And they were able to win the Super Bowl despite having an average offensive line, an average offensive line, the next year when they tried to win back-to-back, what happened? That average offensive line, they lost two guys to injury, one right before the Super Bowl, and Patrick Mahomes was trying to throw passes while being parallel to the ground. You need to at least have a mediocre offensive line. The game has evolved. It has changed. You need the playmakers. Cincinnati has that. You got one of the best wide receivers in the game, Jamar Chase. You got one of the best quarterbacks in the game, Joe Burrow. Great. Awesome. Love it. They don't have a competent offensive line. You can't have your quarterback. Joe is tough. He can take it. He was sacked 70 times last year. But look what's happened in recent years. There's a reason why the Rams made sure to get big wit, Andrew Whitworth, to come out of retirement to be their best offensive lineman last year to help them win a Super Bowl. No big wit. Did you see how they played on Thursday night? You gotta at least have competent O-line play. You just do. You can have all the specialness that you have, and that's how the game is. You gotta have that connection between the quarterback and the wide receiver. You gotta have the, the deep down threat. I do not disagree with that whatsoever. But you got to at least have a competent guy. One competent guy. Got to have a competent offensive line. Bagel's struggling. Let's head out to the hotline. We got phone calls. We got callers waiting to get on to talk about a wacky weekend of college and NFL football. We'll start off with Jamie first. Jamie, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind?
4: Hey, good morning, Mr. Third. I, real quick, I got three things. Number one, and I've said on this program before, can we stop with the Aaron Rodgers love? That dude got completely blown out by Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings. Justin Jefferson special,
2: heck? though, bud. Justin Jefferson you're right, special. You're
4: right. He, he's very special, but it's Kirk Cousins. <laughs> that dude would overthrow uh, Calvin Johnson. I mean, it, anyway. Uh, second thing. Can we please stop uh, rating or ranking Notre Dame so high year after year? Because they always inevitably implode, and they always inevitably suck. So uh, can we stop with that? And then finally, the most surprising thing for me for the NFL game was the fact that the Saints were able to beat those officials in the last minute or so of the game. That was extremely surprising to me because we know that the officials don't like the Saints. And uh, y'all have a great week.
2: Jamie, appreciate your phone call, brother. Enjoy your day and I hope your little one has a great day too. Little one in the background, echoing what Papa had to say. I'm here for it all day long. Let's head back out to the hotline. Welcome on John from the Barry. John, good morning to you, Bud. What's on your mind, my friend?
3: Yes, sir. Um, hold on, Mr. Raymond. What's up, bud? Okay, yes, sir. Um, I had a question. Marshall goes into Notre Dame, beats number seven Notre Dame. They're not ranked. Florida goes at home, and they play Utah, who's unranked, and they go from unranked and jumps all the way up to 12. Then you also have Appalachian State go to Texas A&M and beat number six Texas A&M. Then you have UL, longest win streak in the country. Why is not one of those three teams, at least in the mention of for the top 25? Is it because of markets?
2: I mean, now it's I, it's it, it, it boils down, down to John, that's a good question. Look, it boils down to the people that vote on these things, okay? Whether it's the coaches poll or whether it's the media poll. So many of them don't pay attention, truly pay attention to the other teams. Okay? They they just don't. Uh, they they don't have any idea what else is going on outside of their market. So many coaches, it's a dirty little secret, John. They don't even vote in the coaches poll they let someone from their sports information department vote okay so i figured yeah right so that's that's part of it that's part of the issue and look it's also they don't pay attention to what happens from the group of five they really don't i
3: know that's what's aggravating yeah i mean you have the lsu team and the power polls is far spots to get ahead of ul i'm saying how can this be I'm saying LSU lost to FSU, and they beat a swag team. Big deal. And UL's got a 15-game win streak, and they're saying LSU's better than UL? Uh, Well, and John,
2: what it also boils down to, I'll go back to your point that you made about Florida. So Florida's unranked. First game of the Billy Napier era last week. They defeat number 7-ranked Utah, who was considered by some to be a college football playoff contender. So they jump up really high. And and that made everyone kind of pause, including me. And I was like, "Ah." but Florida is a brand, right? A national brand. So anytime you're a national brand, a Texas, a Florida, a USC, if you will, if you're one of those brands, you're always going to get the benefit of the doubt. It's not fair. It's not right. But that's what happens, especially when you get to a voting process, John, that is flawed and is filled with a lazy approach. This is what happens to that. Florida shouldn't have been jumped up as much as they did. And they'll they'll go back down. And look, I'm not even a person that believes in polls early on anyway because you really don't know about a team until about a month to five games in, right? Then you can really kind of exactly. get a feel for the team and what they're, what they're really good at or what they're not good at. That's when the polls should start to take a hold. But, you know, the polls are what they are, brother. That's what it boils down to. Exactly. They're kind of nonsense.
3: Because, man, a friend was talking about that yesterday, and he's a big LSU fan, and I'm saying, you still can say LSU's better than UL just because they're five spots higher in the poll. LSU was riding a three-game losing streak. UL was riding a 14-game winning streak. And they yep. still say no. I, mean, I agree with you, Mike. I told him, I said, it's not the power five. It's more like the privilege five. They get the benefit of the doubt just because they're, so brand LSU, so brand Auburn, or Florida's big in this case.
2: Exactly, and brother. I pray, John, I got to let you go, but I appreciate the phone call. Thank you for calling. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a tremendous day, my friend.
3: Okay, thank you for the time, RP3.
2: Let's head back out to the hotline. We got our guy Doug waiting. Doug, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend?
5: Boy, John is right, man. I mean, the privilege, Bob, wow, that's what it is. But, right. I'm almost on football overload in ah. the weekend. Good, I said almost. Ray, uh, that Texas-Alabama game. Good Lord, good Ooh. Lord, man, what a game! What a game! I thoroughly enjoyed it.
2: I'll, 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 I'll make I'll game. make a proclamation. Right, now that game was going on during the little one's birthday party, so I wasn't able to watch it as much. I will say this. I will say this. Uh, I, I will say oh. this. Alabama Ray. is a oh, very flawed a game, team. Ray. I expect them to lose a game during the regular season, and I expect them to yeah. get housed by Georgia in the SEC championship game. You will not see Alabama in the college football playoff this year. I just, I, just, they're, they're way too flawed. They don't win the line of scrimmage as much as they used to. <laughs> they struggle with running the football. They become more of a finesse team than a power team, and right. I think that's going to hurt them right. in the end.
5: Exactly right, Ray. And the LSU Southern game, Ray, that should have been the first game of the year for LSU. Like Florida State had a, a warm up game for their first uh, beginning of the season. LSU should have had Southern to start off the season. A warm up game, it would have been a different story between Florida State. Man, I think what so. A, what a weekend for football, Ray. the them out, buddy.
2: Not a problem, brother. Appreciate your time. And, hey, great set of phone calls. Also want to take a moment here to shout out our guy, JPK, the OD. He was our winner for the LSU Southern tickets that we gave away last week on Friday, and he uh, gave us a big shout-out as well. He thanked us. Thanks for the tickets to the LSU Southern game. He took a picture from his seats. The place was rocking, and, of course, the station – That always hooks us up. He did one of those panoramic view photos. That looks nice. It was an electric atmosphere from all reports. We'll talk about LSU and McNeese. That's coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably maybe just a root beer or some flavored water back, back to more kick-ass, kick-ass sports talk with rp3 and company on the game, game. 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's, louisiana's sports, station. sports station
2: the game clubhouse at 1037 thegamecom or 1041 thegamecom can help you with your date night blues fellas I know you're spending a little too much money betting on the games (laughs) and playing fantasy football that you need to, you know, hey, you need to refocus, reset, if you will, to take care of your lady. That's because if you become a member of our Clubhouse Rewards at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com, you'll get the opportunity to score excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou. You can also get yourself a twenty-five dollar gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, also at Cypress Bayou. Also, a fifty-dollar gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. Those are all available in the Rewards Club, but you got to go become a member of it today. If you don't, we can't help you out. Help us, help you. Help us, help you. We got great gift certificates. Once again, Mister Lester's one hundred and fifty dollars. $50 to Half Shell Oyster House, $25 to Mabel's Kitchen. Plus, you can win Astros tickets. Maybe your girl loves the Strohs. Why wouldn't she? They just picked up their 90th win yesterday. But you can't win any of that unless you become a member of our clubhouse. So go sign up today so you can help yourself with your date night blues at 1037 gamecom or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. It was a weird weekend for SEC football. App State goes into College Station to take down number six, A&M 17-14. Alabama survives a scare on the road against Texas, a game they probably should have lost. And you see all the flaws for this Crimson Tide team. I do not believe they will make it unscathed through their SEC schedule, and I think they're going to get housed by Georgia in the SEC championship game. No playoff for Bama this year. Kentucky. A very, very good Kentucky team. Ranked, goes in, takes down Florida in the Swamp 26-16. to 16. Kentucky is going to be a team that's going to win maybe 11 games this year. They're that good. Arkansas beats South Carolina to improve to 2-0 under Sam Pittman this season. And Tennessee, Josh Heupel, man, sure does feel like he's kind of turned things around there as they win a top-25 matchup in overtime on the road as they beat Pitt 34-27. By the way, Tennessee comes to Death Valley in a few weeks to start the October schedule. But LSU also played, and they took down Southern 65-17. to That's not the story of the game. It just isn't. They whirled out to a 37-0 lead right off the bat. This was a game where they got their swag back. They got their confidence back. A lot of the three-three-seven guys that we profiled, they were able to play some. Walker Howard got to play. He just ran the ball a few times. He wasn't allowed to throw a pass. Jane Daniels was efficient, 137 yards, three touchdowns, 10 of 11, QBR of 99. That's a really good night. Garrett Nussmeyer came in and struggled. 13 of 23, 183 yards, no touchdowns, two picks. Not a great night for him. LSU did run the ball for 230 yards on the ground. Malik Neighbors got himself a touchdown reception, led the Tigers with three catches for 81 yards. Kayshawn Butte had five catches for 42 yards. Jack Besh had a touchdown as well, the former STM Cougar on a 17-yard catch. So Sage Ryan... He went out there and recovered himself a fumble as well. Had himself a good game defensively. So, overall, but it was a historic day, is what it was. It put the spotlight on Baton Rouge. It was the first time Southern and LSU had ever played. It was a laugher of a contest, but it was really cool to see from afar that Southern and LSU got to play. And now... That LSU's got to taste victory, got to get, get a little bit more confidence. They get to welcome in Mississippi State to Tiger Stadium. Death Valley will be rocking 5 o'clock kick this Saturday. And we'll see what happens in their SEC opener and just how good this LSU team can be and will be as Mississippi State comes into Death Valley 2-0 and following a 39-17 win at Arizona late Saturday night. Third year of Mike Leach. Always vast improvements. Let's quickly head out to the hotline. Welcome on Steve to the show. Steve, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind? Steve, good morning to you,
6: brother. What's
2: on your mind? Steve, are you there? We got to let Steve go. Got to let Steve go. Steve was listening to us. Appreciate him listening. Appreciate him calling. If he wants to call back later, we'll try to get him then.
7: Uh, There you go. Maybe. Yep. So basically, Steve's question was, people were saying that UL was better than LSU. And he wanted to know if they were to play the same guys that LSU would have played last year in their 15-game winning streak, what their record have been.
2: So are you saying... Are you asking me, do I think that last year's UL team could have beat last year's LSU team? Is that the question?
7: Basically, yeah.
2: I think so. I think the year before the UL team was a little bit better, though. So two years ago, yeah, I think they would have had a good chance of beating that LSU team because it was in disarray. And last year's team was in disarray as well. Remember, LSU only had 38 scholarship players. So, but it's always tough to look at that kind of stuff. It's always tough to look at that kind of stuff. I would love to be able to see the game be played. And I think it's ridiculous that we don't get to have it. There's no reason why LSU shouldn't be playing UL every few years. As a non-conference opponent. You get a lot of people. Be a great environment. But, you know, LSU's been in disarray the last couple of years. So, I think UL having its best seasons ever would have had a very good chance to beat an LSU team would I have picked it Eh, I don't know maybe it would depend on what part of the season it was it would depend on where they were at and if the team was completely lost who was playing quarterback there's a lot of what ifs there we got to take a timeout that's not a what if that's a certainty but when we return here on rp3 and company Jeff Palermo is going to join us to talk all things LSU. Our friend from Tiger Rag Radio. That's coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros.
1: There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in
7: this room is now dumber for having listened to it.
1: Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company company on the the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Louisiana's sports station. Station.
2: Saturday was a great day. It was a great day if you were a Louisiana Raging Cajun fan because... They were able to finally get their act together and pull out a 49 to 21 victory to improve to 2 0 on the season. It extend the nation's longest winning streak to 15 games. It was a great day if you were an LSU fan because you got a win for the first time this season after you beat Southern 65 to 17. But you know why it was great for yours, truly? It was baby girl's birthday on Saturday. Turned eight. And we pulled off the party like a champion there at the Sky Zone. All of her friends came. Family came. Everyone behaved. Everyone had a great time. Everyone was jumping into the pits of foam and bouncing on trampolines, eating cake, having pizza, opening presents. Little one was so excited (laughs) that when we got to the presents because they let you jump first. So she did all the jumping with all of her friends and they all came and then it was pizza time and then it was opening presents time. And she got so excited for her presents that she just started ripping them out and just going through them and not even knowing who gave her the gift. But it was a great birthday party. She says, Hattie Elise Parch says, it was the best birthday party ever. So take a bow my wife, Tina, for pulling it off the best birthday party ever for the best baby girl ever. How about that? But let's talk more about the LSU Tigers. They get their first win of the season, 65-17. to Look, it's it's expected to be a lopsided affair. Are there anything that you can take away from the game? Is there anything that really kind of stood out? as a welcome in Mississippi State on Saturday to open up SEC play. To do that for us is our friend from Tiger Rag Radio and also the sports and news director of the Louisiana Radio Network, Jeff Palermo, joins us now. Jeff, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend?
6: All doing well, Raymond. How are you doing today?
2: I am doing tremendous, my friend. So, all right, let's get right to it. What was your biggest takeaway from the game? Was there anything that happened in the game against Southern – obviously an opponent that's not on the, you know, SEC caliber. But was there anything that stood out to you both good or bad from the 65-17 victory?
6: I guess just that they came out and they handled business. I mean, to score a school record 37 points in one quarter, I think that's that's pretty impressive. Um I think, you know, we we spent all of August wondering who would be the starting quarterback and we understand I I understand it was just one game, but uh, we've seen now Jaden Daniels execute the offense for five quarters now. And we got to look at Garrett Nussmeier and there's a reason why Jaden Daniels is the starting quarterback. He's going to make better decisions with the football. He's got that ability to make plays with his legs. And uh, Garrett Nussmeier could still be a little bit careless with the football. So to me, just th- that was the biggest thing. Um, it was nice to, after just a such a rough game in the against Florida State, special teams wise, to see that unit really play well and make some plays. Um, you know, changes on the offensive line. I think it's uh, I think it still remains to be seen whether that's going to work or not. Uh, putting Charles Turner at center, basically sending Cam Wire to the bench, moving Dellinger to guard. I, I don't know. We got we got to wait and see. Let, let's uh, let's go up against an SEC team and kind of figure out where this offensive line is at. But I wouldn't be surprised by, you know, the time October rolls around that the offensive line has another starting, another starting five. I mean, I just think it's kind of a a work in progress at the moment.
2: Do you believe the changes that occurred for the Southern game or is going to be the lineup that they're going to trot out against Mississippi State?
6: Well, I think they're going to continue to tinker at it. I would you know, it'll be interesting to see what Brian Kelly says about the O line today when he meets with the media. I mean, what what are his impressions? Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if we if we saw some changes because I I think they're like I said I think they're still trying to to, to figure out what's the best what, what's the best group out there. Um, maybe maybe this is it because you know Cam Wire uh, just got it was not a good performance from him. I mean, he just got out out man in that game against Florida state. So, you know, you can't put him in at tackle, but are there other guys developing Can emery can Emory Jones eventually find his way in the starting five? I mean, that's, I mean, I think that could be a possibility by the end of the year that you could have two, true freshmen starting on that old line.
2: Well, I mean, if they're playing better than the vets and that's the way that you have to go. I mean, yeah, that, right. that that's what it is. And, and, for folks that are upset with Brian Kelly or upset from week one, this is what I told him. I said, guys, he knows how to fix an offensive line. Look at the two guys that played the best in the opener against Florida State. They were the true freshman, Will Campbell, out of Neville High School at left tackle, and the kid from Florida International that that Kelly brought in as a transfer playing left guard. Those two guys played the best of the five. So those are the two Kelly guys. Those are the guys he brought in, Jeff. It, it, he's going to play around with this offensive line and I'm all about it. If he decides to go with younger guys because they give him a better chance to win, then that's what he's going to do. He's not beholden to anybody because they've been there for three or four years.
6: No, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, and let's face it. I mean, uh, the, the the woes that they had on the offensive line in the Florida State game, I mean, that's, that's a, a major reason why they didn't win that contest. So you, you got to figure that part out, right? Uh, excited to see what uh, you might get out of John Emery here. Can he give you a little bit of a boost in the running game now that he returns against Mississippi state? Because that's one thing I don't think you can really, it's just hard to judge the O-line against going up against a team like Southern. And even though they had more success running the football, it's just, You know, you you should be able to run the football against a team like that. Um, Get a better test again uh, this Saturday against Mississippi
2: State. What do you make of the fact that they targeted and went after and went right at Kayshawn Bute early and often? Uh, I, You know, I thought that was probably the right move. That probably feels like, hey, you're our guy. We love you. We want you to be here. You're part of this offense. Look at this, so forth and so forth.
6: No, I mean, that was the right thing to do. I mean, that's exactly what you do. You don't try to ignore it and just think, well, you know, the the ball will eventually get to him. You you make a concerted effort, get him the ball, get him going. He's your top playmaker. Uh, You got to have him engaged. You got to have him engaged right off the bat. Uh, Perfect opponent to do this against. I'm not a big fan of the FBS versus FCS matchup, and I – I appreciate the level. You know, I call a lot of FCS games, so I, I really appreciate the level that they play in. I, I, I don't know. I mean, they're they're just, to me, they're kind of glorified scrimmages, especially when you go up against, when it's LSU and Southern, there's a huge, huge, huge mismatch there. Um, and so while it's, you know, I'm not a big fan of it, there really wasn't a better opponent for LSU to go up against after what happened against Florida State? Because it gave them an opportunity to work on a lot of things, get some things right, get themselves feeling a little bit better about themselves, get some guys feeling like they are part of the offense before you head into the Saturday's SEC opener against Mississippi State.
2: Let me ask you: You know, you mentioned Nussmeier, and there's a reason why he's he's the backup. They even got Walker Howard in there. You know, he got some running plays. He got some some reps and everything like that. So, it's a game that's a lopsided victory. Guys got their reps. That's great. Does what you saw Saturday against Southern change your perception whatsoever about taking on Mississippi State, who, by the way, went to Arizona and got a win late Saturday night to improve to 2-0 and on the season?
6: I mean, again, it's, to me, it's just it, – it looked good Saturday. But it could just look different again on, on this, this upcoming Saturday. I, I don't know if it could get any worse than it was against Florida State. I, I don't think that's possible. But um, I, I think we're still looking at a team that's going to win seven or eight games. And that you can't go into any SEC game, I think, this season with this group saying this is going to be a, a guaranteed victory. Um, I, I think every game is they're going to be tested, and uh, defensively they're going to be really tested this Saturday, in my opinion. I mean, especially in the defensive secondary. I mean, can they can they clean up some of the communication issues back there? Um, so it was nice also to get Micah Baskerville back. I mean, mm-hmm. he's a guy that just you know the pick six, the, the block punt, the guy makes plays. Um, you know, I I don't know what kind of practice player the guy might be. Uh, I know he's had some things that he's been dealing with, you know, away from the field, but when he's out there, uh, he, especially at a linebacker position that I don't know really how much production you're getting out of. Uh, I mean, Mike Jones, what did he have? Just like two tackles in that game against Southern, something like that. Um, You're not getting a lot of, you're not getting a lot from that position group. So, you need somebody to go out there and make some plays, and he, he's certainly a guy that um, is going to fly around. He's, a, he's an older guy. He's a senior. So um, that, that might help this defense out as well.
2: Jeff, appreciate your time as always. I know you'll have a busy week with Tiger Rag Radio tomorrow night, and I'm sure you guys will do a deep dive on that uh, non-conference schedule for the men's basketball team. Ooh, <laughs> woof. I uh, appreciate your time, brother. We'll talk to you next Monday.
6: All right. Sounds good, Raymond. Thanks.
2: We got to take a time out. Wrap up hour number two coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. <music> you got Monday Night Football tonight. But guess what? Thursday night football, the second week of Thursday night football, will be here in just a matter of days. Get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. You want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. It's simple. Bet on L.A. or Kansas City to win. If your team leads by seven at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today. Use promo code 1037GAME to get $200 in free bets instantly, When you place a $5 bet on any football game, that's code 1037GAME, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years of age to play. Physically present in Louisiana. Select parishes only. Bonus issued as free bet. One early win token issued at opt-in. Moneyline bets only. Deposit and wagering restrictions do apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms. Licensee partner, Golden Nugget Lake Charles, gambling problem, call one 770 stop Poll question of the day. We asked you what was the most surprising thing from the Saints' victory yesterday as they came back and put together an improbable victory over the Dirty Birds. 47% of you say those first half woes where they looked like they were the less physical team and they were being outcoached and outplayed in every facet of the game. 35% of you say the last two minutes where things went bazonkers. 18% of you say the Falcons choking and 0% for Landry's big game. Ralph says, agree with the others. The Ds struggle against the run. For unit ranked number one for three-plus years, they were bad. Werner really the only bright spot in that regard. He did play well. But biggest fourth quarter in Saints history and against Atlanta? Yes, please. Ralph also said, by the way, did you see the Falcon fans with the Weedat umbrellas? They they come with a guarantee to fold every time. Oh, that's good. That's good. I enjoy that. Who dat Forever says, I would say a quarterback of A.J. Terrell's caliber getting absolutely cooked was a shock, but I guess it should be expected seeing as daddy's back now. And, of course, that is Michael Thomas. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments. On Facebook and Twitter, just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Two hours in the books, man. We've touched on a ton. We still got a ton more to tackle. Coming up to kick off our number three, our friend Corey Diaz. From the Daily Advertiser, we're going to talk all things Raging Cajuns. An awful first half of football for them, but they turned it on and win 49-21. We'll get Corey's thoughts next, right here. On the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. everything 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 going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known
2: as RP3. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns improved to 2-0 on the season. It was a little in question, though, for a while as they played a weird first half of football. It was a weird game overall in a kind of a weird and wacky weekend for college football and NFL. And to recap it with us is the man who covers the Louisiana Raging Cajuns for the Daily Advertiser. Corey Diaz joins us now. Corey, good morning to you, brother. Appreciate you making some time. I know you get up super early, get that workout in. You're ready to go to talk to us this morning. How are you doing, bud?
8: I'm doing well, man. I think I just completed my, you know, my third curl of of, of, of donut from the plate to the mouth, you know. So uh yeah, the workout's going great so far. <laughs>
2: See, you're 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 far younger than I am as I turn forty four tomorrow. So let me uh just go ahead and give you some advice. Um I I once was shaped like you two. <laughs> so so. just Listen, to, you're,
8: you're much taller than I am so it's, it's not as bad as it seems rp3 I promise
2: thank you thank you thank you some of my fills some of my friends refer to me as three bills but that's a discussion for another day all right so <laughs> l- let's go back to this game because it was weird right you and I talked about it in the press box with Kevin Foote and, and the McDonald's and Bobby Ardwane and others everyone that was there covering the game it had a weird feel to it the Cajuns came out flat they didn't execute. They just, they slept walk a little bit. And this is a primetime game on NFL Network, a great opportunity for them to show the world what they can do. And man, they, claim at, they came out lifeless.
8: Yeah, I I, I agree, Raymond. It was, um, it's still kind of baffling because uh, I've obviously been, <laughs> I'll just be, I sat here yesterday and watched a lot of NFL and, and just have random thoughts. Um, about that game Saturday night, just, just come rushing through the brain. I mean, it's, it, you just can't understand it and you can't, you know, and we tried to get, uh, you know, Desimo to kind of explain what we all just saw uh, after the game Saturday night. And I mean, I mean, yeah, he kind of talked a little bit about it, but I think, you know, the, the, the finer details and the ins and out of it, right. I don't even think he could explain Um, it was, I don't know who that was that we saw in the first half. It, it it looked similar to who we saw against southeastern Louisiana in the opener in the second half. I thought a lot of the, um, the inconsistencies and the inefficiencies that we saw on the offensive side of the ball, they looked similar, but and like uh, Desmo described, um, at least they moved the ball, you know, against Southeastern in the second half. They just couldn't finish drives, couldn't get points. You know, they'd get down close and they'd take a third down sack. And that'd end up maybe, uh, you know, trying to do a pooch punt. But in the first half against Eastern Michigan, RP3, I mean, they they were just going three and out. They were, um, you know, I thought there were a couple of drives where, you know, they they, they called three run plays um and they were just kind of straightforward straight formations, run plays and in eastern michigan stopped them they had to punt you know there was no um there was just no rhythm to the offense um there was no um you know looking like we're trying to you know buck trends we've been you know last two drives throwing on first down so let's try to run on first down there there was none of that there was no um there was really no rhyme or reason to kind of how they were trying to um you know, sustain drives and move the ball there in that first half. And, and um, I don't know what it is about lightning delays, man. Maybe it did, <laughs> uh, for, a, for a lack of a better word, maybe it jolted this team a little bit. Um, but after, after that lightning delay, I think we saw, um, and we saw potentially what this Louisiana team can do, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball, if it, you know, if it executes the things that they are coached up and that they're calling, you know, them to do, you know, on the field. I think I think that's that's that could be as good as they can be um but you know, obviously with, you know, new starting quarterback and you know, whether they've been working so long, however many months now, with, with timing with receivers and things like that, you know, it's much different, you know, running route trees after practice one day and then trying to, um, you know, run routes against an opposing cornerback and safety and things like that. You know, the guys will try to knock you off your route. So um, it, it's, it's all about timing, it's about executing. And, um, you know, it, it was just, I don't know, man. I'm still having a hard time trying to explain what we
2: saw. Second game in a row where both quarterbacks get significant playing time. And Chandler Fields is the starter. He was the primary backup to Levi the last two years, Corey. But you could argue that Ben Woolridge, especially on Saturday night, outplayed Chandler. Is this what we're going to see moving forward, that it's going to be a two-quarterback system? Or is it going to be a possibility that Coach Dez is going to make a switch and Ben is going to be his guy?
8: Yeah, you know, look, this is my first year on the beat, so obviously I have not spent a lot of time around the Zormar, but it seemed, he seems to me that he is a very loyal guy, um, and so I say that to say that I think Chandler is his guy, and I don't foresee Chandler not being the starting quarterback for the remainder of this year, unless, I mean, something just uh, you know, <laughs> unless he you know throws five picks in a game and then follows that up the next game with three picks or something, you know, and the offense obviously looks even worse than what we saw in the first half against Eastern Michigan. Um, I, I just I just think there's a there's a, there's a loyalty there uh, behind the Sormo and and with Chandler Fields and and I think that's his guy. But I I think you're right, RB three. I mean, I think Ben in the time that he got um, Saturday, you know, I, I thought he. I thought he maximized his, his playing time and his snaps.
2: 12 of um, 13, Corey. 12 of 13 for 169 <laughs> yards, man, and two touchdowns. And look, Chandler bounced back because he struggled early, but he ended up 10 of 21, and he did throw for three touchdowns and no picks and 141 yards. But I just, I, I don't know, just when we were sitting there in the, the post game presser, brother, I was like, it sure does feel like we're going to see both of these guys for all of the season. That's what it felt like to me. Like, Chandler may be the guy, but it sure does feel like he really likes playing Ben Woolridge a lot.
8: Yeah, no, and, and you you are right, Raymond. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll continue to see. Um, you know, Ben will continue to get. I think now, you know, I think it was after the Southeastern game, I, I asked Dez, you know, kind of about what, what he felt like. Um, or maybe it was the Monday after the opener, um, you know, kind of what he felt like after he looked at the film, you know, kind of what the quarterback plan would be moving forward. And, and initially, you know, he said, you know, two drives was kind of that, that benchmark there, that low benchmark for, for um, I, I, Look, I wouldn't be surprised if we asked him again a little later on this morning and he says, well, we, we might try to get him three to four or four to five drives in games now. I mean, I think I think the way Ben's played, you know, these, through these first two games, and again, albeit, I, I think he got three drives against Southeastern. I think he got four drives, if I'm not mistaken, uh, this past Saturday. Um, I mean, he, he's he's maximizing his playing time, and and when he's out there, he's effective. And also, I think when he's out there, you know, it's kind of like what Des said about Chandler. You know, when he named him the starter, uh, I think Ben. I think when Ben rolls out there, he he makes plays um you know there was a there was a throw that he had on a rollout um I think it was sometime halfway through the third quarter so it might have been his first drive in the third quarter um look I mean he rolled out and he and he rifled one in there. It was about 25 30 yards in the air and it was on the money and I remember looking over to foot and I said man that was a that was a big league throw you know and so I, I think I think these are again you know and Jeff said it in the postgame you know he's He's been trying to tell everybody he's got two good quarterbacks. and No one wants to believe him. And, and, and I don't think that's necessarily been the case in terms of no one believing that there's two guys that can go out there and, and you know, make those kinds of plays, you know, and look good doing it too. Right. But, you know, where, where is the, um, I'd like to kind of know where is the separation between, you know, rolling two guys out there at the quarterback position and it not affecting the rhythm of the offense or, where is it that where, you know, how do you make these decisions to try to keep the the rhythm of the offense, you know, as, as long going as possible, but still trying to get these two guys. It's a very hard question to answer, I know. Uh, but I feel like there, there has to be something there to that.
2: We're talking with Corey Diaz, Louisiana Raging Cajuns mm-hmm. beat reporter for the Daily Advertiser. He joins us. We're recapping the 49-21 victory over Eastern Michigan. It was brought up in the press conference they played a very good first half of offensive football against Southeastern Louisiana, then played a bad second half of football. They played an awful first half of offensive football against Eastern Michigan, but played a sensational second half of offensive football. How soon does this team need to start playing a complete game of offensive football, in your opinion, Corey? That's
8: a, that's a good question, RP3. I mean, obviously, I, I think the... The most obvious um, answer to your question, right, is is obviously the first of October, right, when South Alabama shows up. Um, you know, I think obviously of the next three games, that is the far and away the most challenging opponent. Um, but you know, I've kind of been telling all you guys that are that are that are my media bros, you know, on this beat, um, you know, because I've, I've covered some Conference USA uh, football in, in my time, and and uh, you know, this isn't your. Uh, You know, this isn't your older brother's Rice Owls team. Um, You know, this—they had their best season last year. Again, four wins is not going to inspire anyone. It's not going to move the needle for anybody. And I understand that, but again, you're thinking about Rice. They won four games last year. I mean, when was the last time you heard a Rice team win four games? It has been a very long time. Mike Bloomer has got this, got this, this Owl team, got got his football program out there in Houston. He's got it trending in the right direction. And he's, he's slowly been able to get more and more of the kind of guys, you know, in his program that he wants, you know, he mm-hmm. wants those bigger bodied offensive linemen. He wants them to also be athletic. Uh, you know, he wants his running backs to be very big bodied, um, you know, very low center of gravity, running, running backs who, you know, fall forward when they get hit to get that extra yard or two, or maybe three, um, you know, his, he doesn't put a ton of, on his shoulders of his quarterbacks, but the quarterbacks can make plays when they're asked to from time to time. I've, I've, <laughs> I've seen it before. So, uh, and, and defensively, man, they, they're always one of the better tackling teams um, that usually any team faces. And so um, I, I, I say that to say that obviously from top to bottom, you know, the Cajuns are going to be far and away the more talented team in Houston this coming weekend. But but something tells me, Raymond, that if the offense continues to slog the way it has done, um, the, you know, these first two weeks of the year, I for for I personally would not be surprised to look up heading into the fourth quarter and Rice is winning by a touchdown or by ten or something. You know, if if, if UL continues to, you know, to not have that that consistency and that effectiveness offensively because you know you're and i think i was talking to some other guys you know last week about this rice game look they're they're going to be out there in a, in a fifty thousand plus seat stadium you know rice stadium is a huge place um, and so it, it's good it's about creating your own energy out there you know you're going to have probably you know 2,500 you know, Raging Cajun fans there, maybe a, little, maybe a little more than that. And you're probably going to outnumber the home crowd. So in a 50,000-seat stadium, you're going to have maybe 7,000 people there. You're going to have to create your own energy. And I think that's been a problem for this, for this Louisiana team, and I think on both sides of the ball for the first two weeks, has been energy. I don't think they have come out with a lot of energy so far this year. And they're really going to need to find that this weekend, this Saturday night, at Rice. And if they sleepwalk through that, again, if they sleepwalk through the first half at Rice, you know, they, they could, again, find themselves in a precarious position, and, and, and they're going to have to find a way to create that energy to get back in that game or to, to try to put Rice away or to try to keep Rice from coming back. So it's Rice is a tricky game. I, I do think they win it. Um, and obviously the trip at the end of the month uh, up to the rival uh, ULM um, – you know, I know Terry's been doing things with that program, but Corey, that's uh, tricky. I still that's a tricky a ULM. game
2: there too. That's a tricky game too against ULM. It's always a weird game between those two, and the fact that they have to open up conference play on the road up in Fun Row, yeah. thats going <laughs> to be a little interesting because you know how much the ULM, the Warhawks, are going to get up to to play that game. They love to play spoiler for the, to the Cajuns. So, two tricky road trips for sure before South Alabama comes. The Cajun Field, my friend. Brother, appreciate your time. Tell the folks how they can follow you on social media and keep track of all the great stuff that you're doing covering the Cajuns for the Daily Advertiser.
8: Yeah, sure, man. Uh, yeah, you can catch me over, you know, I guess like most everybody these days, right? Kind of living on Twitter a little bit. Uh, the Twitter handle is, is by Corey Diaz. That's B Y C O R Y D I A Z. Um, and also, you can always catch everything that, you know, um, I'm putting up as, as it pertains to the Raging Cajuns over at the Daily Advertiser's website at theadvertiser.com. And um, love everybody to stop by and, and you know, just I lo- love to banter with everyone. So anytime you got thoughts or questions or, or anything, you know, just, um, just stop by and say hello and let me know what you think.
2: Corey, appreciate your time, brother. Enjoy your week. And I'll see you later on today at the Presser.
8: Appreciate you, my man. Yeah, we'll
2: see you soon. Just a reminder. Here in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So, look, if you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, a brand-new pool, a gazebo, rose bushes, it really does not matter. It doesn't. Because you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig, to the operator your address, and someone's gonna come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free of charge, and guess what? It's also the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service and to promote public safety. Louisiana 811 and the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles remind you: call 811 and know what's below before you dig. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, Houston Astros got to 90 wins yesterday. We'll recap it for you. That's next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros.
1: You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day, every day. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
2: How about them Houston Astros finding a way look Verlander's still on the mend Alvarez still not quite right I don't think he's going to be we've talked about that on this show is that look the big fellow the Cuban sensation he's probably going to need off-season surgery if they weren't a World Series contender Let's say they were the Pittsburgh Pirates. Let's say Alvarez played for the Pittsburgh Pirates. You know what would be happening right now? He would have had surgery. He'd be out for the rest of the year. But because he plays for the Astros and they're a World Series contender, despite his power waning, despite him not being able to turn his wrist over to, to get hits into the opposite direction, he's still out there playing. That's how it works. But... This team finds a way. Took two of three over the weekend against the Los Angeles Angels. They win yesterday in a laughing fashion, 12 to four, as they just clobbered the tar out of the Angels. They improved to 90 and 50 overall. That's right, 40 games above 500. Last time I checked, that's fairly good. It was everyone joining in yesterday for the festivities. Altuve, 3-5. and He's been playing well of late. Two runs scored. Pena, he got himself a hit and scored a run as well. Alvarez, despite his struggles, he went one for two yesterday. Scored two runs because he drew two walks. Also had a home run blast. Do I think that's going to be able to sustain that type of performance? Is he going to sustain it? No. Yeah, the look, when you're a hitter and the wrist are an issue, you're going to have moments where he's going to have a really good game, and then you have moments where he's going to be not so good. It's, there's no way around it. This is baseball. He's swinging a bat for crying out loud. There's only so much you can do. But the fact that he's has the discipline to be able to draw the walks, that's a good sign. Bregman continues his late-season surge. Yesterday, one for three, scored two runs, also drew two walks as well had himself a home run. Kyle Tucker got himself a home run. Mancini, the trade Dog, got himself a home run as well and also drew three, three walks. So they absolutely clobbered the Angels pitching. When your starter goes two innings, it's not a good day at the ballpark. Once again, the Los Angeles Angels, who are being sold, which may be the best thing for them, have, you know, been that team. Generational talents. Mike Trout's the second coming of Mickey Mantle. Shohan Otani's doing things that we haven't seen since Babe Ruth. That's great. Do they win? Do they win ball games? No. No. But the MVP is going to be Otani yet again. And great. And the Angels can, ha- they, you know, they should take a big team photo right there at the facility after Otani wins the MVP, right? And they can have him posed with his MVP trophies, and then you can have Mike Trout with all their MVP trophies. And then underneath, it can, they can put up a sign right here. They can put up a sign, and it'll say, no playoffs. <laughs> How many World Series titles? Zero. No franchise in Major League Baseball has wasted more talent. You have generational talent, yet you don't win because you don't know how to build a roster properly. Woof. Garcia, he gets the win. His 12th of the season, five innings. He gave up eight hits, three runs, all earned, only struck out four, gave up a couple home runs. Not a great performance, but good enough to get the job done, especially with the Stros just hitting the ball out of the ballpark like it was batting practice. And you got four clean innings from your bullpen, which you love to see. Seems like the Astros' bullpen is starting to revert back to the form that we saw for most of the season. August came, and they kind of stumbled. They were blowing games left and right in the month of August. Now it seems like they've kind of you know got back on track. Long season, Major League Baseball is. They go out there. They only give up one run. That was narrow Late when he gave up the two hits, and you're like, eh. But the rest of the guys, Smith, Stanick, and Abreu, they pitched well, only giving up one hit in three innings while striking out two. And the Astros, of course, also maintain their position as the best team in the American League. And let's take a moment here to look at the most up-to-date standings. Yankees have been playing better of late. They're 6-4 in their last 10. They've won two in a row. They're improved to 85-56, and, and they now maintain a five-and-a-half game lead over the Rays, six games over the Blue Jays. The Yankees are the more talented team between those three. They should win the division. But you always have question marks about Aaron Boone's ability to be able to manage. Mm. Guardians hold a a two-and-a-half game lead in the Central at 73 wins. The White Sox and Twins are trying to catch them, but the Twins sure do seem like they're fading a little bit here. Two and eight in their last 10. They've dipped below 500. In the West, the Strohs, 90 and 50, as I stated. They hold a comfortable 11-game lead over the Seattle Mariners. But those Mariners, what, what? Took two or three from my Bravos over the weekend. That's right. And they are firmly entrenched as a wild card team. Tampa Bay leads the AL wild card standings over the Mariners by just like a half game. But those two those two teams are locked in for two of the three spots. The Blue Jays sit at the third spot, and then there's a bump now. There, there's a cushion there coming down the stretch of five and a half games between Toronto and Baltimore for the final wild card spot. So. As long as Seattle look taking two or three from the defending World Series champions, great. They got to keep that momentum moving because for Seattle, you're not going to catch the Strohs for the division, which means you got to keep pace with Tampa and Toronto for the wildcard spot. And Seattle's going to be a dangerous team come postseason. I don't know if anyone's going to want to face the Mariners. I said it before the start of the season. I'll say it again. They overcame their slump of being April champs. They were terrible in May. They bounced back. They started playing to their potential. That young core is playing to its potential. They're a dangerous team. And young teams are always dangerous because they don't know any better. Like, they don't know that they're not supposed to take two or three from the defending World Series champions. There's something about that. If I'm the Yankees or if I'm the Astros, I probably don't want to see Seattle in the postseason. You want to see the Strohs live in person. Time is running out. Time's running out. Because if you want to see them and you haven't seen them yet, our final Astros weekend getaway is here. But you can only win it by becoming a member of our rewards club. That's the only way that it can happen. If you go sign up today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com, you'll have the opportunity to score yourself Four tickets, that's right, four tickets to see the Houston Astros take on those Tampa Bay Rays that I mentioned. They're a dangerous team as well. October baseball at Minute Maid Ballpark, Saturday night affair, Rays-Strohs, four tickets. We're going to throw in a tour of the ballpark. We're also going to take care of your hotel accommodations that Saturday night. But you can only win it. By becoming a member of our clubhouse. And this is the last Astros we can get away of the regular season. There won't be another one. So if you haven't seen the Strohs play in person, now is the time to do so. Once again, go sign up today. If you haven't become a member of our clubhouse, first of all, what are you doing? No, I'm not passing judgment. Go sign up today. And once you become a member, you're going to have the opportunity to score yourself astros tickets get to see them live in person they're at the big old juice box moses knows what i'm talking about he loves going there our intern extraordinaire go see him four tickets tour of the ballpark and boom You get to see the Houston Astros, a World Series contending Houston Astros team, live in person. Of course, Houston Astro weekend getaways are powered by Butcher AC, La Meridian, Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We got to take a timeout when we return. Ross Jackson from the Locked On Saints podcast will join us to recap an absolute bananas victory over the dirty birds that's next right here on the game southwest louisiana sports station and your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros head is ready for saints talk
1: begin <laughs> the camara breaks through spins at the two into the end zone touchdown. time to talk saints with the big easy blitz here on
2: rp3 and company I'm still trying to wrap my brain around what I saw on Sunday inside the Mercedes-Benz Stadium where the Falcons found a way to lose a game to the Saints. And, of course, the Saints took advantage and won the game. A bonkers final quarter, a ridiculous final two minutes of the game as the Saints pull out the win to start the season off with a dub. To give us his thoughts on what in the heck happened over there in Hotlanta is the man behind the Locked On Astros podcast, Locked On Saints podcast, our good friend Ross Jackson. Ross, I'm, I'm still so in disbelief. I didn't even get the name of your podcast correctly. I'm still trying to figure out how to say words. What happened?
7: Well, first of all, shout out to uh, to, to Brett and Eric because they do a great job over at the Locked On Astros podcast. <laughs> but yes, it was it, it was a phenomenal. Um, uh, scene in the Mercedes Benz stadium yesterday, which is actually right behind me. I was hoping to have like this, this up for you so that you could see it, but then I get all washed out. Sorry. It's the problem with melanin, but it, it's all good. But so <laughs> with the new Orleans saints on that uh, throughout that game, it, it was a tale of, you know, two different teams almost. I mean, the New Orleans Saints for the first three quarters couldn't get it together in the trenches. They were struggling to produce on offense. They were incredibly inconsistent uh, and, and inefficient in the offensive game. And then all of a sudden, when it mattered the most, this team that did not panic, that was not frustrated, that kept it all together all throughout the game with the leadership of new head coach Dennis Allen, they were able to string it all together for what became the biggest comeback in New Orleans Saints history, a 16-point comeback, which they had never done before so it, it was it was pandemonium Um, throughout the fourth quarter. It was pandemonium after the game. New Orleans Saints fans absolutely took over. The uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, Michael Thomas crediting them for uh, the way that they were able to kind of help the team kind of get over the hump and get the energy going in the fourth quarter as well. The Saints fans traveled well, and it was uh, a remarkable sight uh, to see the New Orleans Saints do that. Now, they'll hope to not have to win a game in that fashion again for the rest of the season, but, you know, it was certainly a team that proved to be exactly what it is that Dennis Allen said they wanted to be gritty, tough, and competitive.
2: Why did it take three quarters for us to see that?
7: I think a big part of it was uh, the trench play. Um, I think the Saints struggled on both the offensive and defensive lines, and they were fortunate enough to be able to find a rhythm, particularly in the passing game, which then extended drives and kept the ball in the hands of the offense, which kept the defense off of the field a little bit so they could kind of catch their breath. I mean, you'll notice that throughout the first three quarters, the Saints went three and out several times kind of reminiscent of the 2021 offensive uh, production, which is inexcusable when you have the weapons that you have here in 2022. Michael Thomas is back. You add Jarvis Landry, you add Chris Olave in the draft. Alvin Kamara looked incredible all throughout training camp, and they just couldn't take advantage of, of those guys because they couldn't get the protection needed up front to get it done on the defensive side. You ended up having to stay on the field longer than necessary because you gave up over 100 rushing yards to Cordero Patterson. You give up over 70 to uh, Marcus Mariota, and that's going to make for a long day for a defense, and in particular, a defensive line, even a defensive line that rotates as much as the New Orleans Saints do. So it's complicated. It's tough when you're in a situation where you're on the field so much as a defense, and when you can't stay on the field enough on the offensive side to gain a rhythm. All of that changed in the fourth quarter when they sort of were able to pick up the tempo, go into that hurry up fourth quarter sort of two-minute step style uh in the fourth and they were able to pick up a rhythm keep the offense on the field get the defense some rest and then get some juice going for that team and that ended up being big uh for you know the, the stretch
2: could we possibly see more of an up tempo approach to offense from pete carmichael against tampa bay to kind of get this team started sooner
7: rather than later Certainly, a chance to that you could do that with the scripted plays uh, with your first drive. Your first fifteen script your plays are usually scripted, uh, going into a game, and then see if you're able to pick up the tempo there. But it's hard to maintain an up tempo offense for four quarters, right? So you have to be selective about when you're when you're utilizing it. So maybe early on in that first, you know, whatever that first possession ends up being, if you get the ball with two minutes left or within the two minute warning at the end of the second half, and then after that, you're kind of waiting to kind of go into that pace if you need to uh in the fourth quarter and you know you're certainly not trying to do that if you're winning right at that point in the second in the the second half you're just trying to you know burn time off the clock if you're winning which was curious why the atlanta falcons that they didn't really go that route they didn't you know even they kind of were uncomfortable with their 16 point lead it looked like they were consistently trying to add to it and they you know just kind of got fidgety i mean you saw the fumble by marcus Mariota that was a play that could have easily been the game for the atlanta falcons and they end up literally fumbling it away and so uh, i think you can see that from the new orleans saints particularly in the early goings of the game against tampa but after that they'll very likely continue to be selective and utilize it when it's most necessary and in turn then most effective when you're trying to freeze a defense on the field
2: it took a while for this team to get ramped up but that second quarter that was probably the worst quarter of football I've seen them play since Mike Ditka was their head coach. I It, just, it was atrocious from start to finish. But I credit the team for putting it behind them because mm-hmm. that could have steamrolled into halftime, and they weren't that much better in the third. They got a little bit better, but they finally turned it on. For, for someone who watched them during camp, that second quarter, what stood out the most to you and you mentioned the lineup this line of scrimmage but were you stunned as like many people were about just how poorly they were playing
7: yeah no this was not the team for you know those quarters in particular or i would even say really the first three quarters of the game that we saw throughout the uh, 2022 offseason whether it be training camp or preseason that was not the team that we saw we saw a team that was you know uh, dominant and very physical I won't say dominant but was very physical up front and were able to win their matchups and their keys there we saw a defensive line that you know there were some question marks on the interior and I think that's still very much a question mark for this team but that was producing in terms of pass rush um, we saw a, a second level that was helping and that was you know able to help to manufacture some pass rush as well we didn't see a lot of that for three quarters that was not the football that the New Orleans Saints wanted to play to open up this season and then on the offensive side the inefficiencies the you know lack of protection the uh you know a couple of turnovers that you know they they skirted by you know a couple of dropped interceptions things like that and so you know that was not the team that the new Orleans saints looked like they were going to be coming into 2022 so i was very surprised by that but we saw the team that we thought that they would be in the fourth quarter. You just hope that they don't wait until the fourth quarter next time. And even Dennis Allen says that, right? Like, I hope that they're not all like that as the way that he opened up his presser. And so I think that you'll see this team look to rebound and, and, and continue the momentum from the fourth quarter going up against Tampa. Cause they're going to need a faster start going up against a better team than the Atlanta Falcons.
2: We're talking with Ross Jackson of the locked on saints podcast. He joins us here on RP three and company for the big easy blitz. It sure does seem like Jameis Winston has good chemistry with Michael Thomas and even better chemistry with Jarvis Landry.
7: Yeah, we saw the chemistry with Jarvis Landry start to really show itself, um, at least to the public eye, against the uh, Los Angeles Chargers in that preseason game where they found each other 20, I think, 19 yards, no, 15 and and 20 yards, if I remember correctly. Um, But those guys, like there's a lot of trust between that quarterback and that room Michael Thomas telling us the excuse me uh, Jameis uh, Winston telling us the other day that when it comes to Michael Thomas you just got to get on the ball you just got to find a way to get on the ball and that's what they did I mean he had five catches 57 yards and two touchdowns all in the fourth quarter uh, or all in the second half uh, for the Uh, New Orleans Saints and this was an offense that couldn't pass the ball they couldn't move the ball through the air for the first half they had only 24 passing yards on seven or excuse me on five completions in the first half they had lost 26 yards on three sacks so it was minus two negative yards they were in the negative when it came to net passing yards in that first half so you know to be able to bounce back from that forget all of that and still have that chemistry still have that trust in one another uh on the offensive side that's huge and and that takes a lot of trust and when you have a guy that's a you know all pro record breaking wide receiver that just showed you how physically dominant he can be against one of the nfl's better corners in aj terrell it's hard not to trust that guy, right? It's hard not to trust Jarvis Landry, who proved that he's well, way more than just a guy that operates 5, 10 yards within the line of scrimmage. I mean, he's making you know, catches 45 yards down the field to set the Saints up for a game-winning field goal. I mean, the trust is there because of demonstrated ability. And that's one of the things that, um, you know, was highlighted yesterday in one of the pressers, which is something that, you know, Sean Payton used to preach all the time, is that that trust is earned through dem- through demonstrable ability and what you're able to demonstrate as a player. And those guys, Jameis Winston, Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Jarvis Landry, Taysom Hill, they all demonstrated why they should be trusted here in 2022.
2: Ross, let's switch gears now because they pull out the win. Will Lutz comes up clutch. Uh, Peyton Turner puts his mitts on that that kick attempt, so everything kind of came together in the fourth quarter. Celebratory mood, who that nation takes over Hotlanta? That's great, but Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks come to town, fresh off a win over the Dallas Cowboys. You know it's going to be a dog fight. What do the Saints need to work on specifically to get prepared to open up their home slate with a win come Sunday?
7: Yeah, you're going up against a much, much better team next weekend than the one that you faced here in Atlanta yesterday and the one that you beat here in Atlanta yesterday. And so you have to celebrate this win and enjoy it. But as Dennis Allen said, these guys are going to have to have tough skin going into film study today because there's a lot to work on. Specifically, you'll look in the trenches on the offensive line. This New Orleans Saints team was inefficient in the past game. They weren't able to get a run game going, but all of that starts On the offensive line and it starts in the trenches so you're going to have to be able to protect better because then you're able to get time time only comes with protections and you need the time in order to be able to. You know get going in the passing game and of course the run game is you know completely you know set up or. Uh, dismantled by the production or 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 lack of production by an offensive line so you're going to need the offensive line to you know be able to make some big strides from week one to week two which isn't a lot to ask we see that across the nfl all the time particularly in the stretch from week one to week two or to week three uh the defensive line is another place with the trenches that you're going to be looking to you know have to take another big step forward Leonard Fournette, this running attack of the Tampa Buccaneers is something that they really, that Todd Bowles is really leaning into. It's what happens when you get a defensive coach, the defensive coach wants to win with defense and ball control. And they're going to look to do that and be able to sort of look to physically impose their will on the New Orleans Saints defensive line. So whether the questions are in the interior or elsewhere in the run game, you're not going to be able to give up 170 plus rushing yards again against Tampa Buccaneers and expect to still walk away with a win. The next piece is getting pressure with your front four, not having to dedicate additional blitzers in order to get after Tom Brady and make him uncomfortable. The issue is that Tom Brady gets the ball out very quickly. He's got one of the quickest releases in the NFL, which is one of the things that New Orleans Saints know very, very well. So if they can get pressure with their front four, they'll be in a better situation. But based upon what we saw yesterday, pressure was not a huge um, accolade that they're that they're walking away here uh, with. And so those are going to be three big things that the New Orleans are going to need to adjust in order to win on Sunday against Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There's more to be done, but that's the place to start.
2: Ross, safe travels back home, brother. Appreciate you making the time. Enjoy your trip. Enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to you soon, my friend.
7: Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Thanks, as always, for having me on. I'll talk to you here soon. Y'all take care and stay safe.
2: Ross Jackson of the Locked on Saints podcast joining us there. He's right. Look, they pulled out the win. It's something to be thankful for if you are a diehard Saints fan. But they got to play better. And that line of scrimmage has got to play better. Boy, I feel like I always talk about offensive line play on this show. It's amazing. It's as if it's needed to win football games. What? What? You mean it's just not about quarterbacks? Ah, Amazing. Got to take a timeout. We will wrap up today's show. Get you set up for Kevin Foote and footnotes on what I would assume is a thankful Monday. Maybe not a glorious Monday, but maybe a thankful Monday. That's coming up next, right here on Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Uh, Monday Night Football will be tonight. Reminder, pregame will begin at 7 o'clock, kickoff right around 7.30. You can listen to Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos take on Russ's old team, the Seattle Seahawks, right here on the game. You're home for the National Football League. And look, once Monday Night Football is in the bag, you can start prepping for Week 2 of the NFL season and Week 2 of Thursday Night Football. Get ready for Thursday. A week of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Football League. New customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. It's simple. Bet on LA or Kansas City to win if your team leads by seven at any point during the game and you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today. Use promo code 1037GAME to get $200 in free bets instantly once you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code 1037GAME only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years of age of play, physically present in Louisiana. There are deposit and wagering restrictions, and eligibility and terms can be found at DraftKings.com slash terms. Poll question of the day. We asked you, what was the most surprising thing from the Saints come from behind victory? 48% of you said the first half woes. 33% say the last two minutes. 17% say the Falcons choking. And 2% Jarvis Landry's monster game. I want to thank our guests, Jeff Palermo from the Tiger Egg Radio, Corey Diaz from the Daily Advertiser, and, of course, Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast. For the intern extraordinaire, Moses Campos, the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah five names, I'm Raymond Parks the 3rd better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow 6 to 9, but until then, be safe out there, be kind of one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.